0: This is broadcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today, so please enjoy this encore broadcast from June 22nd, 2023.
1: Samuel Alito is a model Supreme Court justice. Please join me in welcoming him this evening.
2: Oh, yes. He is the very model of a modern right wing SCOTUS judge. I'm scared in case I fall off my chair And i want wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers
0: to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you
2: yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Groves, KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates from coast to coast. We also stream every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Coming up, we will be joined once again by the great Lisa Graves to discuss the latest revelations of corrupt far-right U.S. Supreme Court justices No, not Clarence Thomas for a happy change.
0: (laughs) Yeah, gosh, what a great change. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Hi, Desi Doyen.
0: Hi.
2: No, we will be talking about Sam Alito and his undisclosed luxury travel funded by right-wing billionaires with uh, business before the court. Same old story. All new justice. Also today, Desi Doyen uh, will be here with our latest Green News report. Yes. Including more ungodly heat in her old home state of Texas where once again the gop run state's underfunded old electric grid uh, is at risk of collapse yet again with according to reuters the texas power grid operator and some utilities calling on residents to voluntarily cut back on air conditioning and appliance use as a record-setting heat wave stressed the grid, yes, uh, they are calling for conservation. But Des, um weren't we told some years ago by uh, Republicans, including a, a, a then infamous Texan by the name of Dick Cheney, if I'm remembering this correctly, that we can't conserve our way out of energy crises? <laughs> Am I remembering that correctly?
0: Uh, you are pretty much remembering that correctly. And of course, it's all a bunch of bunk because... As we already know, in several states, when this kind of thing happens, it's totally natural for your utility company to call out and say, hey, big demand on electricity today. You know, put off using your dishwasher Conserve. or your washing machine until later on when it's less demanding <laughs> on the grid. People do it all the time, but only Republicans turn it into some kind of culture war problem. It's bad only, when only Cal- when it
2: happens to California. Exactly. exactly but right. it's
0: fine when Texas does it.
2: Of, of course, course. Of course. Uh, And now, uh, by the way, just making things and and this can't be true, but amid this continuing these continuing heat waves in uh, in the Lone Star State with temperatures routinely breaking 100 by far in uh, in many cases. Is this true, Des? Governor Greg Abbott has actually approved a new law that blocks local ordinances that require water breaks. For construction workers? That cannot be true.
0: Why, yes, it is true. That's exactly what Governor Abbott did, because he loves construction workers. He's the, you know, he's all for the working man. Basically, this is a law that uh, Abbott signed that preempts local ordinances, and it's all kinds of local ordinances that restrict businesses and require them to take care of their workers better. But the most important law that, or regulation that this new law gets rid of, is, like you said, the water and shade breaks for... Construction workers.
2: So, in addition to just unspeakably cruel, there, uh, uh, this would also mean that the big state government, big government, knows better
0: than local than control? local
2: uh, the people on the ground.
0: Exactly, see. It's preempting mm. local control. Mm. You know those pesky locals that want to take care of their workers.
2: All right, just crossing that another thing off the list. of republic things that Republicans used to pretend to believe in. All right. Anyway, more on uh, more on certainly on Texas heat uh, later on in Desi's Green News report. Uh, before we get back to, yes, again, corruption at the Supreme Court with our guest uh, very quickly. You know, I, I haven't been covering much of what's going on in the GOP controlled. And I use that word advisedly uh, controlled uh, GOP controlled U.S. House haven't been covering it much of late because, frankly, it's just stupid it's just bonkers and stupid and that's not really meant as a partisan point if if they were raising points or making legislation that i you know disagreed with if they had policy uh, ideas that i thought were wrong in some fashion i might be inclined to cover it and to let you know what is going on in this particular debate but they are not they're just doing ridiculous dumb stupid things uh, pretending, for example, that they will be impeaching President Biden for some unspecified crimes, accusing the DOJ and the FBI of, of being biased against Republicans. Did you know the FBI has never had a uh, non-Republican uh, director since its inception? Only Republicans are allowed to run the FBI anyway they're yeah they 're pretending they 're going to uh, defund the uh, DOJ and the FBI defund the police is what they 're uh, talking about doing, uh, also crossing that off my list of things <laughs> that uh, they used to pretend to be against, and um, you know seeing all of their supposed probes by Republican prosecutors set in motion during the uh, Trump administration, seeing all of them just simply just fall apart. One example, the Bill Barr-appointed special counsel, uh, John Durham, he uh, recently wrapped up his uh, more than four-year investigation of the investigators, so to speak, uh, who, for very good reason, investigated Russia's interference in the 2016 election and finding a whole lot of it. And team trump's various efforts at coordinating with the Russians in that in that matter, Durham, whose investigation of the Mueller investigation and its origins went on much longer than Mueller's investigation itself uh, Mueller's investigation resulted in dozens of indictments and convictions of a whole bunch of top Trump officials, whereas John Durham's probe uh, brought two indictments to court lost on both of them, on all counts. Almost immediately, the jury returned a not guilty verdicts. Anyway, Durham was a U.S. attorney, but he apparently is also a MAGA Trumper, it seems. And after his probe finally fizzled out recently, Republicans continue to pretend that he found all sorts of stuff anyway that he didn't. Uh, and as we saw in a House hearing on Wednesday... Durham pretended to not see the interference and yes, collusion between between uh, Team Trump and Russia that is obvious to everyone. For example, as discussed in this exchange between Democratic California Rep. Adam Schiff and uh, John Durham in the GOP-run House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday,
3: Don Jr. was informed that a Russian official was offering the Trump campaign quote very high level and sensitive information unquote. That would be incriminating if Hillary Clinton was part of, quote, Russia and its government support of Mr. Trump. Are you aware of that? Sure. People get phone calls all the time from uh, individuals who claim to have information like that. Really, the son of a presidential candidate gets calls all the time from a foreign government offering dirt on their opponent? Is that what you're saying? I don't think this is unique in your experience. Uh, so you uh, you have other instances of the Russian government offering dirt on a presidential candidate to the presidential candidate's son. Is that what you're saying? Would you repeat the question? Uh, you said that it's not uncommon to get offers of help from a hostile foreign government in a presidential campaign directed at the president's son. you really stand by that, Mr. Durham? I'm saying that, it, that people can make phone calls um, making uh, claims uh, all the time that you may have experienced. Are you really trying to diminish the significance of what happened here and the secret meeting that the president said sons set up in trump tower to receive that incriminating information trying to diminish the significance of that mr I'm not trying to diminish it at all but i think the more complete story is that they met and it was a ruse and they didn't talk about mrs clinton uh, and and you think it's insignificant that he had a secret meeting with a russian delegation for the purpose of getting dirt on hillary clinton and the only disappointment expressed in the meeting was that the dirt they got wasn't better you don't think that's significant I don't think that that was a well-advised thing to do. Oh, no. oh, not not well-advised. Well, advised. All right. well that's that's the understatement of the year. So you think it's perfectly appropriate or, or maybe just ill-advised for a presidential campaign to secretly meet with a Russian delegation to get dirt on their opponent? You would merely say that's inadvisable? Yeah, if you're asking me would I do it, I, don't, I hope I wouldn't do it. But it was not illegal. Uh, it was as stupid, foolish, ill-advised. Well, it it is illegal to conspire to get uh, incriminating opposition research from a hostile government that is of financial value to a campaign. Wouldn't that violate campaign laws? I don't know. I don't know all those facts to be true.
2: (laughs) Wow. He doesn't know much of anything, it seems. And the things he, he does know, he doesn't want to know. And by the way, he says they they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton. And They know they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton in this meeting between Don Jr. and a bunch of folks on the Trump campaign and the Russians. They know they didn't talk about Clinton because both the Russians and Don Jr. and the Trump campaign said they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton. So... That's good enough. And also, uh, it was just a uh, painful to watch. There was much more. We just don't have time for it today. Uh, Eric Swalwell, Ted Lieu were all also very good in that hearing. But on that same day, thanks in no small part to his effectiveness at calling out right wing Trump nonsense, uh, including at the f- Trump uh, first Trump impeachment trial, Uh, When Adam Schiff correctly warned that if he was not held accountable through that trial and removed from office, that he would do the same thing and worse, criming thereafter. And yes, Adam Schiff was right. Donald Trump did, which is why he's the only president in history to be impeached twice. But thanks to thanks to that, Republicans, things like that, that Schiff did and his effectiveness, Republicans decided they would pretend that Schiff did something for which he should be officially censured by the House. And uh, after failing to find the votes to do so last week, this week, Donald Trump threatened those who voted against it last week that he would primary them next year if they didn't vote to censure Schiff. Well, that censure vote, that second censure vote, was held on, uh, on Wednesday when Schiff spoke on the House floor in his own defense before the vote.
3: To my Republican colleagues who introduced this resolution, I thank you. You honor me with your enmity. You flatter me with this falsehood. You, who are the authors of a big lie about the last election, must condemn the truth-tellers, and I stand proudly before you. Your words tell me that I have been effective in the defense of our democracy, and I am grateful. And yet this false and defamatory resolution comes at a considerable cost to the country and to the Congress. At a moment when millions of people in our home state of California are unable to find a place to live or afford a place to live, Speaker McCarthy chooses to occupy the resources of Congress for two straight weeks on this hollow sop to the MAGA crowd. He offers nothing to those who are homeless or addicted to opioids or to millions of college students mired in debt, but this paltry distraction. Donald Trump is under indictment for actions that jeopardize our national security, and McCarthy would spend the nation's time on petty political payback, thinking he can censure or fine Trump's opposition into submission. But I will not yield, not one inch. The cost to the Speaker's delinquency is high, but the cost to Congress of this frivolous and yet dangerous resolution may be even higher as it represents another serious abuse of power. Donald Trump has threatened that any of you that defy him and vote against this partisan resolution will be met by a primary challenge. And he calls for my imprisonment. If a transient majority can punish an attempt to silence members who hold a corrupt president to account, there is no telling what further corruption of office will follow. And I say this to Speaker McCarthy and others who wish to gratify Donald Trump with this act of subservience or bend to his demands. Try as you might to expel me from Congress or silence me with a $16 million fine, you will not succeed. You might as well make it $160 million. You will never deter me from doing my duty.
0: Good for him.
2: Good for him indeed that uh, the final vote to censure Congressman Adam Schiff was successful thereafter on Wednesday with... A vote of 213 to 209 along party lines leading to chants of shame, shame, shame from House Democrats at the end of that particular day's clown show. If there's anything of substance that actually occurs in the U.S. House, we'll try to let you know. I could share stuff like that every day, but it just seems so stupid and pointless in truth. But. You know, there's at least a, a taste of, of of some of what you are sometimes missing by tuning into the broadcast, I guess. <laughs> Speaking of shame and a corrupted Republican Party, oh man, uh, former DOJ official Lisa Graves joins us next to discuss the latest revelations of corrupt Supreme Court justices seemingly held as puppets on a string by billionaire Republican megadonors. That and more straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com slash donate From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
0: You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast.
2: Well, you know, now it's just getting ridiculous, isn't it? Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have been spending no small amount of time over the last month or three uh detailing the seemingly endless revelations of corruption of arguably the most corrupt justice on our Corrupted U.S. Supreme Court, or at least so we think based on the revelations to date, that would be one Justice Clarence Thomas from our revelations way back in 2011 of his failure to report his wife's salary from the uh, Heritage Foundation for years on his annual disclosure forms to his failure to recuse himself from the Citizens United case in 2010 after arguably holding his lifetime seat on the bench thanks to advertisements supporting him during his controversial 1991 Senate confirmation hearings that were bought and paid for by a group named, yes, Citizens United, To the still underreported point that Republican megadonor Harlan Crowe gave some five hundred thousand dollars to a nonprofit created by Clarence Thomas's far right activist wife, Jenny, between the time her husband heard the Citizens United case and the time that he would vote to allow such donations to remain undisclosed In that case, to the more recent stunning revelations about Thomas from ProPublica that Crow had been funding luxury travel and vacations pretty much every single year for decades for both Clarence and Ginny, that Crow purchased and upgraded Clarence's 94 year old mother's house where she still lives rent free to this day, and that Crow paid the Expensive private school tuition for Thomas's grandnephew, who Clarence says he raised as a son, all of which Thomas failed year after year after year to include on his annual financial disclosure forms. All of that before Thomas... With the white hot spotlight of attention on his years of the appearance of impropriety and failing to disclose these matters, despite federal law requiring it, recently asked for 90 more days before submitting this year's annual financial disclosure forms for some odd reason. But Clarence Thomas was not the only one to ask for an extension this year for some reason. While seven of the nine justices had no problem filing on time, both Thomas and his fellow far-right, long-serving Justice Samuel Alito, for some reason also asked for an extension this year. Thanks to yet another incredibly well-researched and reported scoop from the nonprofit ProPublica's investigative reporting team of Justin Elliott, Joshua Kaplan, and Alex Mirjewski this week. Well, perhaps we now know why. As they report, in the years after the undisclosed TRIP that he took to Alaska Republican mega donor Paul Singer's hedge fund has repeatedly had business before the Supreme Court. Alito has never recused himself in early July of 2008. Sam Alito uh, was on a vacation at a luxury fishing lodge that charged more than one thousand dollars a day. And after catching a king salmon nearly the size of his leg, Alito posed for a picture with Paul Singer hedge fund billionaire who has repeatedly asked the Supreme Court to rule in his favor in high stakes business disputes. Singer, known by critics as a vulture capitalist for buying up failing companies and countries to harvest them in times of trouble for enormous profit later, was more than a fellow angler on that trip to Alaska. He also uh, flew Alito to Alaska on a private jet, which the justice would have had to have paid more than $100,000 to charter on his own just one way. In the years that followed that trip, Singer's hedge fund came before the Supreme Court at least 10 times in cases. In 2014, the court agreed to resolve a key issue in a decade-long battle, between Singer's hedge fund and the nation of Argentina. Alito did not recuse himself from that case, which ultimately netted Singer's hedge fund some $2.4 billion. Alito did not report that 2008 fishing trip on his annual financial disclosure forms. That's a violation of federal law that requires justices to disclose most of these gifts, according to ethics law experts. Quote, if you were good friends, what were you doing ruling on his case? Asked Charles Gay, an Indian, uh, Indiana University law professor and leading expert on recusals. And if you weren't good friends, what were you doing accepting this trip? Referring to the flight on the private jet. Justices are almost entirely left to police themselves on ethical issues With few restrictions on what gifts they can accept when a potential conflict arises, the sole arbiter of whether a justice should step away from a case is the justice him or herself. How is that going? ProPublica's investigation sheds new light on how luxury travel has given prominent political donors intimate access to the most powerful judges in the country. On his Alaska trip, Alito stayed at a commercial fishing lodge owned by another wealthy businessman and Republican donor, one who had previously flown Justice Antonin Scalia, who died in 2016 up to Alaska on a private jet and paid for the bill for his stay. Such trips would be unheard of for the vast majority of federal workers who are generally barred from taking even tiny gifts. Leonard Leo. The longtime leader of the right-wing Federalist Society, which has taken the lead for Republicans in shaping the federal bench from the Supreme Court on down, also attended that trip in Alaska and, in fact, helped organize the uh, fishing vacation for Alito. He invited Singer to join, according to a person familiar with the trip, and asked Singer if he and Alito could fly on the billionaire's jet Singer and the lodge owner were both major donors to Leo's political groups. Leo had also secretly funneled tens of thousands of dollars, by the way, in cash payments to Clarence Thomas's wife, Jenny, via Kellyanne Conway, who would later go on to become Donald Trump's campaign manager and senior White House advisor. See how this works? ProPublica sent Alito a list of detailed questions last week, but instead of answering them, Alito took to Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal to publish an op-ed attempting to pre-butt the ProPublica report, which was published the day after that Wall Street Journal op-ed. Alito said that when Singer's companies came before the court, the justice was completely unaware of the billionaire's connection to the cases, which frankly seems implausible. And he said that uh, he had recalled speaking to Singer on, quote, no more than a handful of occasions, and they never discussed Singer's business or issues before the court. After the Alaska trip, supposedly the first time that the pair had met, the two then appeared together at several public events with the billionaire introducing Alito before he would speak once at a Federalist Society annual dinner, for example, the year after the Alaska fishing trip, and the year after that, in 2010, at a dinner for donors at the Manhattan Institute.
1: Throughout his life, Sam Alito has shown himself to be a person of grace and humility, of composure and decency, and of fairness and civility. Samuel Alito is a model Supreme Court justice. Please join me in welcoming him this evening. Well, isn't that nice? He's a
2: model Supreme Court justice. And uh, but, you know, especially for the man who would sit in judgment without recusal on case after case after case that Paul Singer had brought before Alito's court that year and in many following it. As for the flight to Alaska in 2008, Alito wrote in his own defense at Wall Street Journal this week, Mr. Singer and others had already made arrangements to fly to Alaska when I was invited. And I was asked whether I would like to fly there in a seat that, as far as I am aware, would have otherwise been vacant. It was my understanding that this would not impose any extra cost on Mr. Singer. Had I taken commercial flights, that would have imposed a substantial cost and inconvenience on the deputy U.S. marshals who would have been required for security reasons to assist me. The defense has brought cackles from experts, to be frank. As TPM's Josh Marshall summarized, Alito seems to suggest that he was flying to Alaska and it turned out Singer happened to be flying to Alaska, too, and he happened to have a spare seat on his private jet. So what sense would there be in having that seat go to waste? But, of course, Singer didn't just happen to be going to Alaska, Josh notes. He was going to Alaska specifically to spend quality time with Sam Alito, the whole thing having been arranged by the Federalist Society's Leonard Leo. And, uh, he notes, here's where the whole picture starts to come into focus, both the Alito story and the Thomas ones. Needless to say, None of these billionaires just happen to be old friends in the sense that you or I might recognize, but they didn't just glom on to their justice on their own. Everyone here is part of Leo's network. Harlan Crow is a big Republican donor, but also a Federalist Society donor. So is Paul Singer. So is the owner of the fishing lodge in Alaska. Somewhat like... Some colleges or the service academies match a sponsor family with first year students or cadets. Leo seemed to do that with incoming Supreme Court justices, basically a sponsor family for each new justice. What these stories highlight, Marshall argues, is the way the justices are essentially kept by the Federalist Society and the sponsor families, the sponsor billionaires, Once they ascend to the court, it makes you wonder which families got assigned to Neil and Brett and Amy. Good question. Joining us again today after last joining us to discuss some of the latest revelations of Clarence Thomas and his failure, just like Alito's, to follow the simple rules and the simple federal laws in disclosing these so-called gifts is Lisa Graves, executive director of TrueNorthResearch.org, who also happens to be a former deputy assistant attorney general at the U.S. Justice Department, a former chief counsel for nominations in the U.S. Senate and a former deputy chief for the Article Three Judges Division of the U.S. court system. Who better to join us today? But really, any day uh, is a good day to have her with us. Lisa Graves, welcome back to the Bradcast.
4: Brad, thank you so much for inviting me. And that was uh, a tour de force, your introduction <laughs> and description of the state of play. Um, as always, seriously, hats off to you and the work you do day in and day out to alert people to what's happening uh, just superb listening.
2: Well, you're you're very kind. Uh, frankly, this entire story is a tour de force, continues to be a tour de force, as we learn more and more, it seems, you know, with every passing week. Let me start here, Lisa. Uh, to be clear, as far as I can tell, none of the matters that I just described in that tour de force, uh, the huge gifts of luxury travel, even cash payments to uh, Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, none of that are actually uh, unlawful, it seems. But the failure to report them on their annual disclosure forms, that seems to be where the problems at least begin, at least as far as the law goes. We'll deal with the ethics issues around all of this in a moment, but but am I right? All they needed to do was disclose this stuff? Well, there's two, two primary components of that. The first is that um,
4: since the late 1970s, as part of the post-Watergate reforms, mm-hmm there has been a set of statutes and regulations governing gifts to anyone who's paid by uh, by us taxpayers. And that includes the judiciary, includes Congress, it mm-hmm. includes the executive branch employees and officials. And so there's no doubt that these justices are governed, are covered by these longstanding disclosure requirements. And those disclosure requirements expressly um, cover, you know, certain things are included, certain things are not including, notwithstanding the just extraordinarily deceitful and deceptive claims that uh, Alito made in the Wall Street Journal this week, the fact is is that everyone knows that private jet travel is not permissible as a gift of supposed hospitality. Mm-hmm. The hospitality exception in those long-standing gift rules is basically meant, uh, in general, to cover, like, your high school friend throws you a party for mm-hmm. your birthday at, at their house and you have cake. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you might stay over if it's a different town, you know, not this sort of post-appointment uh, currying of favor by super rich people um, subsidizing a luxury lifestyle through fabulous trips. And so, um, first of all, there's the, there's the gift rules mm-hmm. um, and the limits on those gifts and the disclosure requirements. And second, each of those um, annual statements by the Supreme Court justices and other judges in the federal courts, is uh, basically accompanied by an attestation mm-hmm. um, that, that this is that this is true that these are true and accurate um, reports and so there's both the not the, the lack of disclosure um, and there's the the false statement mm-hmm. um, on those disclosure forms in which they assert that there's nothing more to disclose they've disclosed everything that they've been obligated to and clearly they haven't I mean I'll just make one more point on that mm-hmm. which I think is important because uh, about a month ago now, um, after the Senate Judiciary Committee invited uh, John Roberts, who is the chief justice of the court, to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he declined. He declined and then attached a statement signed by each of the justices on the court saying that they comply with the ethical, sort of general ethical rules. Well, we know that, that that's a false statement, at least when it comes to, to Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, in my opinion. Um and so this notion that they themselves are asserting that they themselves follow all the rules has been disproven over and over and over over again by investigative reporting, like this tremendously detailed, extraordinarily um compelling mm-hmm. story that was just published by uh, ProPublica and the three reporters who put that story together
2: well, let me break down a few pieces of that first uh, l- let me give uh, you know uh, I am a reasonable person uh, as as they say that you know the appearance of impropriety uh, for a reasonable person I'm a reasonable person so therefore, if uh, Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito say that there was absolutely nothing wrong with this that it fell under the personal hospitality exception. Uh, you know, these luxury uh, trips, vacations for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. It was personal uh, uh, hospitality. If that is the case, why not include those uh, gifts on your financial disclosures? If there is nothing wrong with taking those trips, they're all perfectly appropriate. Why not disclose them on their forms? That's what it seems to me that they failed to do. Uh, for a start. How can you possibly explain that? How do you square that circle?
4: Well, I think that one of the things that this reveals is that the court actually has no enforceable ethical code, which would require judges to recuse themselves, justices recuse themselves, if there is bias Mm -hmm. or the appearance of bias. So those are the rules that's, that's the sort of language or similar to the language that's in the Code of Conduct for U.S. judges that does not the Supreme Court that they have chosen to not have any enforceable mechanism for because as you point out as you point out uh, it's the case that if um, if an ordinary person would think that this sort of thing would create bias a judge you know basically has an obligation to disclose it or to um, and or to um, recuse themselves from cases where that bias might be raised and so as you pointed out and as the story details Paul Singer, uh, this salmon trip is right after Paul Singer begins a series of cases, mm-hmm. trying to get this, these cases involving billions of dollars in, in uh, assets and and more before the Supreme Court. So um, it's not as though they were pre-existing friends. Um, mm-hmm. It's the case that as this billionaire was trying to get a favorable hearing by the Supreme Court, he just happens to go on an arranged trip. Yes. Um, to Alaska to go salmon fishing and, and hang out, not just at the resort, but out in the woods together, bonding along with Leonard Leo, who, um, who, as you point out, is the person who chose the judges that Trump chose from for the U.S. Supreme Court. Yep. So Leonard Leo is not just the, the sort of person who's kind of a fixer for Thomas. Um, he's also apparently a travel agent um, <laughs> yes. uh, for these uh, justices. Um, these right wing justices, and and as you as you also suggest, um, and others have have mentioned, Brad, he's a, sort of like a matchmaker. Yep. Uh, he's, uh, he's 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 uh, connecting them with these billionaires and and in favor, in essence, showing his power with his donors, yep. to be able to get a Supreme Court justice to go on the trip with them, and then having them bond through that experience. It's and, sure, and quite frankly, yeah.
2: Well, well, OK, again, a couple of points to hit. Uh, so Alito says he had absolutely no obligation to recuse in any of the uh, cases that uh, ProPublica cites, that Singer had before the court. Uh, you write about the uh, the need to recuse to avoid the appearance of impropriety. And that had always been my understanding, you know, the appearance of a conflict of interest. But... Alito in the Wall Street Journal seems to move the goalposts. If you saw his response, with an assist from Chief Chief Justice Roberts, who he quotes from an April twenty-five statement, uh, the one you uh, referred to to the Senate Judiciary Committee, where Roberts wrote, wrote, "Quote: There is an appearance of uh, impropriety when an unbiased and reasonable person who is aware of all relevant facts." would doubt that the justice could fairly discharge his or her duties. No such person, Alita writes, would think that my relationship with Mr. Singer meets that standard so Uh, That's why I say, hey, you must not be a reasonable person, Lisa Graves, but also they added who is aware of all relevant facts. That sort of seems a a catch all uh, excuse to, you know, well, if you disagree, it's either because you're uh, unreasonable or you're just not aware of all the relevant facts. It it sort of kills the idea, doesn't it, of of the appearance of impropriety and, and having concern about that? Well, you
4: know, that that's a great point to underscore, Brad, because what's happening here is that Alito and Thomas, um, for example, are not making sure the public is aware of all reasonable facts. You know, in essence, they're not telling people mm-hmm. um, that they're that they're having their luxury travel subsidized by billionaires who have business before the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so it denies people the opportunity to make that assessment. But also, you know, I think this question of reasonableness is, is, is pretty extraordinary in this circumstance, because... Because the the op ed, which itself is extraordinary, uh, by a sitting Supreme Court justice, to not um, have a statement issued by the Supreme Court's public affairs office um, or their chambers, but instead to go to one of the most right wing and extremist ed boards in the country, mm. an ed board that has suggested that it has inside information about the a- operations of the court in previous um, you know editorials and other op eds, mm-hmm. to go to this very right wing op ed board to post. And then, if you look at the statement, talk about unreasonableness. It, like this is a man, a Supreme Court justice, who asserted that it was no big deal because the seat on on Paul Singer's the billionaire's private plane yes. would have been quote otherwise otherwise vacant. Right. Um, oh, who knew? Us, <laughs> the rest of us should actually just be hanging out at private uh, at private jet facilities and, right. and waiting for some billionaire to have just a vacant seat that just happens to be going in the direction that they're going. Um, You know, it's just an extraordinarily laugh-out-loud, absurd description. It's unreasonable. His assumption is inherently unreasonable. But also, you know, this is a man who um, has acted as though he is the keeper of the kingdom in terms of strictly reading the Constitution or strictly reading the statutes, claiming this sort of strict constructionist or so-called originalist uh, approach, some sort of faux-neutral approach to the law, Mm -hmm. this is the man who overturned, orchestrated the overturning of almost 50 years of legal precedent on abortion. If this guy can't read the actual statute and regulations, which expressly in those regulations describe how jets don't count as hospitality, how can we possibly have any confidence, and we don't, I think most people don't, that he would um, act impartially to read the Constitution, or the case law around abortion or other issues that he doesn't like right. fairly for the American people, and that through those laws consistent with past precedent and with, our, um, you know, and, and with the expectations that have gone uh, and been uh, accorded by other judges in terms of honoring past precedent. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that he's, he's outlandishly wrong, totally wrong textually in terms of his claim about what the gift rule covers, but he also is not just wrong about that. He's someone who has used his power to advance his personal religious agenda to attack the rights of, of the American people.
2: Also, in his his defense uh, that he posted to the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, regarding Paul Singer, uh, he said that, uh, quote, on, on no occasion have we discussed the activities of his businesses and we have never talked about any case or issue he has before the court. Now, uh, Lisa Graves, you and I have spoken, uh, like like he says, with the singer a handful of times over the years. We've never gone on fishing trips together. I hope we will. But uh, you and I have also never talked about, for example, you running for office. That said, Lisa, if you did decide to run for office, I would be inclined to vote for you. Even without us having discussed that specifically, it seems to me that that is sort of akin to the concern here. They don't have to talk about, you know, it's pretty clear which side of the case Paul Singer was on when he was before the court. They didn't have to discuss exactly what they needed from him, but they knew each other. His friend had business before the court. His friend would know how to uh, judge, how to rule in that particular case, right? Isn't this just laughably absurd? Not just something I disagree with, or you may disagree with, but it just seems laughably absurd, this defense.
4: It really is. And, you know, Joe, Joe Patrici has a um, has a list server. His newsletter is called Above the Law. Um, and, um, you know, he wrote about this, this idea that, that um, Justice Alito, in looking for conflicts for potential petitions, didn't see Paul Singer's super PAC, super-duper Super super PAC on the list of cases. You know, in fact, um, it's the obligation of those justices to be careful to look for mm-hmm. any conflicts, um, including the different LLCs that these, business, these corporations or these bi- billionaires have at their disposal. You can't just go, oh, I didn't see his personal name on the brief, therefore it doesn't count. It actually raises the question of how many other cases, Alito has mm. presided over where he has had a conflict and his examination, his supposed examination, uh, didn't reveal the person by name as a litigant versus their group. And and that is also underscored by the audio that you shared, which is that the Manhattan Institute has cases before the Supreme Court, yep. has active cases right now, this session with amicus Briefs for the Supreme Court, and has previously, and yet um, Alito was more than happy to be introduced by... Uh, by Paul Singer in a very warm introduction with, you know, likely sitting at the table together for dinner, which is how these things go, and yep. maybe some pre-reception hanging out. We're, we only have Justice Alito's word that they never spoke about any cases or any matter. Um, I don't have the confidence, any confidence in his word based on his conduct, his behavior over these past several years. But even beyond that, as you point out, there is an implicit uh, arrangement, in essence, uh, an implicit relationship or certainly not even implicit, an actual relationship between these men who have bonded while fishing for King Salmon and more. (laughs) And it's not just that. It's also the case that Leonard Leo is part of this equation. And he has a definite agenda before the Supreme Court. Um, He funds groups and helps funnel money to groups to support his agenda. And we know that one of those groups, the Judicial Education Project, which has closely tied to Leo, weighed in on one one of Paul Singer's cases involving Argentina in an amicus brief. Well, that's Why would this, you know, obscure judicial education project suddenly weigh in on a case for a billionaire who happens to fund the Federal Society, which Leo helps lead and who happens to be another one of the billionaires, you know, sort of in the pocket or in the arrangement of Leonard Leo in terms of funding his his very extreme agenda for the courts in America, just happening to side with the billionaire Mm. who, who he arranged this trip with. And so that sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory, but it's not these are actually the facts. Oh, no, these, listen, these... has has an agenda.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. These these folks are all tied together. My understanding is that the Manhattan Institute is funded by Paul Singer, where uh, Alito, where he introduced Alito, the fact that uh, they could, uh, somehow, Alito would not understand how they are all tied together, how they have the business before the court. They send in, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of of friend-of-the-court briefs. Uh, Lisa, I've got just a minute or two here, but I want to at least touch for uh, uh, one minute or two on reform Uh, the fact of the matter is that when it comes to justices recusing themselves it is up to them if they don't want to recuse there's really no one to appeal to should there be like a separate body for that sort of thing an independent judicial ethics office perhaps akin to the independent congressional uh, ethics office or office of ethics I think it's called that was recently created by uh, reformers for should we have something like that for the Supreme Court
4: well it seems clear that we can't trust the court to police itself or the justices to police themselves so we need some mechanism to have an enforceable code of conduct but also I would say as Robert Reich pointed out in response to this it's not just disclosure these justices should not be taking these gifts at all it's not just that they should have been disclosing them this is the type of thing that really does cast a dark cloud over our Supreme Court and in its integrity And the confidence that people could have that the people who are deciding these cases that affect our lives are people of unimpeachable integrity, people of the highest ethics, rather than people who are so eager to go on fabulous trips uh, with billionaires and and be toasted and hailed at events funded not just by Paul Singer, but by Harlan Crowe's wife, the Manhattan Institute, and more, hailed at the Federal Society, also funded by some of these same billionaires as well as Koch. This is, um, you know, genuinely a stench. That is growing around this court because of the behavior of these right-wing Supreme Court justices who um, think that they're entitled yep. to these sorts of lug- this life of luxury uh, based on their public service. And well, quite frankly, they're not, and it discredits the court.
2: I hope this all gets tested with Sonia Sotomayor uh, going fishing with George Soros. Then. And not reporting it. Then maybe we could finally get some reform on the highest court in the land. I think that's really what it's going to take. Lisa Graves is the Executive Director of TrueNorthResearch.org She also used to work at the Justice Department, the uh, U.S. Senate, the U.S. Court System uh, and uh, we are always delighted uh, to come up with an excuse to have her join us on the show. I think there may be a bunch of those excuses coming up this uh, this summer Lisa Graves. Uh, I you- think there are. <laughs> yeah, I, think, <laughs> I say yes. Sadly, I think there are. Uh, you can find her work, of course, at TrueNorthResearch.org And on the Twitters, at the Lisa Graves. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Boy, I love talking to her. Yes. Anyway. Yeah,
0: she's great. And I I love that she said it's the stench, that stench that surrounds the court now because of their corruption. I mean, they're so, uh, Alito and Thomas are so brazen right now. It is like they're almost daring people to do something about it because they know nobody can.
2: Well, And there may be more coming. We'll find out in the days ahead. But first, quick break, and we're back with Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
0: The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
2: Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. We'll be back soon. I'll stop the
1: world,
2: uh, I think summer solstice, we're, we're now uh, officially in summer, we are, I uh, think, yeah, and so the, that means also the days are getting shorter and shorter? Yes, oh, but hotter and that. hotter. And hotter and hotter, that's what, yeah. Uh, and I don't know that they can get much hotter as they have been in uh, some places already in the U.S., as discussed. In our latest Green News Report.
1: These heat
0: waves are getting more frequent, they're getting more intense. Record-shattering heat roils India and Texas astonishing forecasters.
3: All of this action must be global, it must be immediate, and it must start with the polluted heart of the climate crisis. The fossil fuel industry.
0: United Nations closes a fossil fuel industry loophole. Plus, hey, it tastes just like chicken. USDA approves the first lab-grown meat for sale in the U.S. Sounds
2: terrible. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: And I'm Desi Doyen.
2: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment hey it tastes just like chicken it is chicken that explains it this is your green news report I'm gonna
3: soak up the sun.
2: okay desi doyan are we actually now forced to compare the terrible heat they've been having in india and pakistan for so long With the heat we're now seeing out of Mexico and Texas?
0: Yeah, unfortunately it's very similar. The stunning persistent heat dome that is broiling Texas and northern Mexico is astonishing meteorologists, shattering records by several degrees. Dozens of cities in Texas have tied or broken their all-time high temperature records during this persistent heat wave, which is forecast to re-intensify in coming days. For example, San Angelo and Del Rio, Texas this week hit new all-time high records of 114 degrees. Wow. In several towns, the heat index, which combines temperature and humidity, hit an astonishing 127 degrees. This is all across the state, and the hottest summer months are still ahead. Numerous studies show that man-made climate change is increasing the severity, frequency, duration, and likelihood of extreme heat events in the U.S. and worldwide.
2: Well, I guess all of those years, drilling and lying about Texas tea are coming back to haunt the Lone Star State.
0: In India, a scorching heat wave in its two most populous states has disrupted power supplies and overwhelmed hospitals and morgues. According to preliminary estimates, nearly 200 people may have died over the last week alone from heat-related illnesses in this persistent extreme heat wave with temperatures parked at around 115 degrees Mm. for days on end. A Lancet report published last year calculated that extreme heat waves striking India and Pakistan in recent years were made 30 times more likely due to climate change.
2: And it is only June.
0: Also in India, glaciers in the Himalayas are melting at unprecedented rates. Can't understand why. A new study finds that glaciers in the Hindu Kush Himalayan mountains are likely to lose as much as 80% of their volume this century if the world doesn't accelerate efforts to sharply cut climate-warming greenhouse gas emissions. The researchers warn that rapid glacier melt is also increasing the likelihood of glacial outburst flash floods and avalanches in coming years and will reduce water availability for the nearly 2 billion people in 16 countries who rely on its glacier-fed rivers. Not good. Meanwhile, the United Nations this week established a new rule that fossil fuel industry lobbyists must disclose their status at international climate meetings, closing a significant loophole that enabled lobbyists to hide their corporate ties as they obstruct efforts to curb man-made global warming. The next round of Paris Climate Treaty negotiations in November will be hosted by the United Arab Emirates (laughs) and chaired by an oil shake. Petro and the fossil fuel industry are intensely lobbying for treaty language calling for a phase down of fossil fuel emissions with nascent carbon capture technology and are opposing a full phase out of fossil fuels, which the global scientific community says is critical to avoid catastrophe. We are so screwed. At a press conference last week, UN chief Antonio Guterres excoriated the fossil fuel industry for obstructing climate action.
3: The problem is not simply fossil fuel emissions. It's fossil fuels, period. The solution is clear. The world must phase out fossil fuels in a just and equitable way. Trading the future for 30 pieces of silver... Is immortal.
0: Finally, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, for the first time, has approved the sale of lab grown chicken, grown directly from cultivated animal cells in a laboratory to be sold at upscale restaurants in the United States. The FDA has already approved cultivated chicken as safe for consumption and it's already on sale in Singapore. Company officials emphasize it is actually meat and not made from plant based substitutes. The product is aimed at drastically reducing the the slaughter of animals, and the environmental impacts and emissions of industrial livestock production, which is a major driver of global warming.
2: So describing it as Kentucky Fried Test Tubes probably doesn't help?
0: Probably not.
2: For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com.
0: I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi
2: Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Have seen my chicken? Have seen my chicken? Have seen my ticket
3: She's gone again. Ha <laughs> ha
0: seems like a good idea. Uh-huh. I mean, if you're going to sounds cut delicious. down on all of the impacts that come from livestock yes, production, sounds seems like a good wonderful.
2: idea. sounds <laughs> wonderful. Sounds delicious. Some uh, good music on t- today's broadcast, by the way.
0: I think so, too.
2: we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my guest today, Lisa Graves of True North Research, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it and or any other program we have ever done for free at bradblog.com. And we've had a lot of uh, reporting over this past week uh, concerning Georgia and so forth. Um, We could use your support to continue such reporting. Uh, We try to make everything we do free, no paywall, but we appreciate your support at bradblog.com slash donate. We are 100% uh, listener supported. So uh, thank you for that.
0: Right. We don't get any corporate help or any political influence help or any of that.
2: Is there political influence help available?
0: I believe some people. I know that right-wing billionaires fund their right-wing media organizations. Unfortunately, lefty billionaires don't seem to.
2: Ain't nobody here but us chickens. <laughs> Get me Leonard Leo on the phone right now, Desi Doyen. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, that's it. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, you'll find me at the Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
1: Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1999. That was the day 5,000 textile workers at six Fieldcrest Cannon Mills in North Carolina began voting for representation by the Union of Needle Trades Industrial and Textile Employees, better known as UNITE. The victory, later validated by the NLRB, was a significant win for labor in the anti-union South. The union's organizing director, Bruce Rauner, stated, quote, It feels like we just organized GM. Suddenly, we've got a beacon to show other textile workers that they can do it. Labor historian Leon Fink noted that, quote, It's a stunning victory for the union. It's the biggest breakthrough in a traditional southern industry for probably the last quarter century. Then AFL-CIO President John Sweeney remarked that it was the largest union victory in a southern textile mill in history. The election and victory came after 25 years of struggle and four previous attempts to organize at Fieldcrest Cannon Mills. Many noted that the young immigrant workforce made the difference conditions had been worsening at the mills. Workers fed up with production line speed up, punitive decreases in piecework premiums, and company harassment were compelled to vote union. One worker stated that he and many others were sick of lies management told to keep workers from voting yes in previous elections. Supervisors routinely intimidated workers to vote no with promises of higher wages or, when that failed, threats of deportation. Workers were barraged with various forms of anti union propaganda. They found anti union videos mailed to their homes. Some were paid extra to distribute vote no t shirts on the shop floor. The company finally recognized the union and negotiated a first contract that guaranteed higher wages, pensions, and other benefits. (laughs) No! <laughs>
4: Hi, everybody. Juliana Forlano here from the Juliana Forlano Show on the Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn. Do you like to know what's going on in the world but don't like walking away from your news show feeling all depressed or jacked up? Do you like political humor? Then check out our show, the Juliana Forlano Show, Saturday at 11 a.m., Sunday at 9 p.m. on the Progressive Voices Network or find us at julianaforlano.com.